Hey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky, and I'm joined in studio by Clint Clifton. Clint, how are you doing? I like it how every time we introduce the podcast, you tell them what we're doing. Like we're either in studio, which yes. by the way, our studio is it floats. I mean, it's it our does. studio is wherever our it microphones does. Today, are. Today, it's an old bank vault. <laughs> yes, it is. Or a church vault. <laughs> yes. And this is in studio just means we're in the same room together. Um, and right. then, then sometimes you say I'm on the line with, and uh, so I feel like I'm live via satellite. Hey, we're that. practicing transparency with our audience. Uh, it is. It's really good. We're trying I, to keep it real. I, I like that you keep everybody posted so they can visualize it. I mean, they're imagining what we look like right now in the bank vault. Yes. Yep. Yeah. We should post our pictures sometime. Cool. Hey, before we jump into this episode with Daniel Yang, yeah. Um, I want to ask you about one piece of your life. You have um, helped plant a bunch of churches, um, and part of your church planting effort is the Praetorian Project. Yes. What is that? The Praetorian Project is an effort to start new churches, uh, a family of new churches at military installations around the world or near military installations around the world. Um, it, it initially was, uh, had the goal of planting new churches at every Marine Corps base in the world. Hmm. But, uh, as you may or may not know, there are only a handful of Marine Corps bases. There are about 12 and, um, we have almost completed that task. Um, and so we, when we started to approach the, that we began wondering if we might should think about other service branches. And actually a few years ago, we had somebody, uh, a, a soldier in the army in our church, and he had a desire to plant as part of our project. And so that caused us to grapple with it too. But, mm. but yeah, I planted near the headquarters of the Marine Corps Quantico. I'm not in the military, haven't been in the military, don't really know much about being in the military other than observing us uh, military service members in their lives. But I think the military's incredibly strategic um, to the spread of the gospel. I think it was strategic in the scripture. Uh, if you go um, uh, you look in, into the scripture, you'll see you know, traces of, of God using uh, that, uh, the military. And I think also uh, it's strategic in our day. So Yeah. Yeah. It seems like uh, it's strategic because these guys are moving around. So you mm -hmm. get to train some guys and they're mobile so you're taking a group that's uh, often seen as a negative for a church yeah, and that sure. they um, are short term yep. in every location. Yep. And you're saying, no, 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 there's inherent strategy that exists yep. with the nature of their employment where we can disciple them and know that they're going to go and be fruitful in somewhere else. Yeah, I, I always say to people that Quantico, where I planted, was the best and worst place to plant a church because mm. it was the best because the DNA of leadership development and movement is it, you can't get away from it. You can't un uh, you can't take that out of your DNA as a church. Uh, but the DNA of uh, leadership development and movement is there too. It's neg mm. It's a negative and a positive. It's negative because everybody wants to lead. Uh, everybody can not. They want to lead. They actually are good leaders. They well, know how to lead. Uh, and then um, everybody is mobile. They're moving all the time and they don't have control over it. It's not like they're moving by choice or even to build their mm. career. They're moving because Uncle Sam told them to move. Oh. And uh, and so instead of um, instead of uh, viewing it like, oh, man, these guys are going to be here very long. We view it like, man, we got to get to these guys as quickly as possible. We got to equip them in a very efficient way. 
and and then when the wind blows and they go to the next duty station we want them to be equipped to do something particular and so we we kind of we kind of uh, use the vernacular of having destinations to our discipleship goals with people mm. instead of just broadly discipling people kind of to teach them you know we want to disciple them for something. So you think Ephesians 4, you know, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we want to equip people for something. Mm. So we're not just, um, you know, like gun collectors who are, are collecting guns but never intending to shoot. But we're actually yeah. uh, uh, teaching them something that they will use when they go to their next duty station. Wow. That's the goal. And it has, you know, is one of those things that if, as I look back over the course of my life in ministry, um, it probably won't be the biggest thing I ever do, but it feels like the most important. Mm. Um, so mm. it feels really significant and it feels really personal. Um, and so, I, yeah, I would encourage you if you have any interest in um, a military church planting, uh, we have an executive director of our project. His name's Brian O'Day. One day we'll have him on the podcast, but um, uh, connect with the Praetorian Project. You can find it on the internet at praetorianproject.org. Yeah. Okay, great. Man, that's terrific. So this episode is an interview that you did with Daniel Yang. Yeah. It also deals with, with big picture church planting strategy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to ask him in this interview about trends, church yeah. planting trends. Um, from what you recall of this episode, I know you did the interview a couple months back. Um, what are you hoping that church planters will hear? And you're putting, you know, Daniel on this platform. Yeah. What do you hope people will uh, learn about Daniel in the process? Well, uh, whether they learn about Daniel or not, having a thought leader or some thought leaders in our industry, so to speak, I don't want to use like totally business language, but you know, the, the more and more people get involved in starting new churches, the more and more there's a need for us to share information across you know, multiple platforms so mm -hmm. that, so that people can, uh, learn from the mistakes of others and from the successes of others. And so that's why things like podcasts are really important because the, it's a way, it's a way for us to share information. And in any industry like that, you need thought leaders. You need those who are, are, have a perspective. They sit in a, at a van, they have a vantage point where they can see lots of different things happening. And Daniel, in his role with Send Institute. So if you're not familiar with Send Institute, of course we have the Send Network, Send Network, but Send Network um, has decided to set aside some of their resources and their funding uh, to create something that's distinctly not SBC. It's mm -hmm. this it's this uh, think tank, so to speak, for the, the church planting world. And it's housed at Wheaton uh, uh, University where uh, Ed Stetzer is working. So Daniel and Ed's offices are right next to each other. They're working together day, day to day. So Daniel or Daniel's doing uh, thought stuff and moving the ball down the field on figuring out best practices for all things church planting, coaching assessment, all that stuff, and trying to share cross-denominational resources, which mm. is very important. And I'm proud that I'm part of a denomination that puts aside money to do that. Uh, because there, you know, as we get better in this network at church planting, what's happening is people from other networks are saying, how did you do that? And we either say, well, I'm not telling, you know, or come right. join us. Right. Or we say, here's how we did it. And send Institute is our way of saying, here's how we did it. Hmm. Here's how we're doing it. How are you doing it? And collecting all that information together. And, uh, you know, we live in a city here in Washington. This is Think Tank City, right? I don't yeah. think I'd ever heard that phrase before I got here. Right. But Think Tanks are really, really important in Washington. And I never, I never kind of got it. And I still am getting it. I'm, I'm understanding it. But Think Tanks are the places where ideas are generated often. 
and concepts are generated that become movements in the future. And mm. so um, I think it's really important. And Daniel is the right guy for this. He's he's very smart. He's experienced as a church planter and he's he's humble. He's attentive. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, I was able to listen in as you were doing this interview and I was personally had great takeaways from it and inspired me. So uh, let's just jump right into the episode. This is Daniel Yang. Okay, Daniel Yang, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Well, Daniel, you are the oft confused um, <laughs> person with uh, with uh, Daniel M. Oh yeah, actually, I just got an email. He just got an email that belonged to me, uh, and he just forwarded one to me two yeah. days ago. So happens all the time. So um, <laughs> so why do people confuse you with Daniel M. so often? I tell Ed Setzer, like, hey, no more hiring uh, Asian Daniels to work with you in church planning anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Daniel uh, M was hired by Ed when Ed was at Lifeway. That's right. And then and then stayed at Lifeway. Yeah. And then Ed Jeff brought and, you. Oh, oh, sorry. Yep. Jeff and Ed started the Sun Institute and they brought me in. Yep. Yes. Yes. That's right. Which, by the way, Daniel N told me about the opportunity. So it's we're connected. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, well, I don't confuse the two of you. All right. I, I, I have it straight. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got better hair than I do. <laughs> yeah, he's got hair. He's got hair. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that makes it better than mm -hmm. yours. Uh, well, I'm uh, thankful to talk to you today. So you're in this unique role with uh, Send Institute. So kind mm -hmm. of explain what that is and how that relates to the Send Network. Yeah, you know, about two years ago, uh, Jeff Christofferson and Ed Setzer had a conversation. Eventually, Kevin Izzell was a part of that. Uh, and they knew that God was doing something special at NAM. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think a lot of people had started coming to NAM about uh, how to better their processes and mm -hmm. those kinds of things. And so uh, the true reasons why they started Set Institute, number one was they wanted to be able to be a resource to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and even though NAM wouldn't plant non-NAM churches, they wanted to be a resource still. Um, so firstly, that was that. And then secondly, realizing that um, although the last 40 years church planning has become a thing, uh, the landscape in North America has changed pretty dramatically. Yeah. And so I guess the way that we say it is that um, the missiology behind church planning in North America needs to be updated a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so they started the Sin Institute as a think tank for church planning in North mm -hmm. America. And they asked me to come on to, to help it go. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's housed at Wheaton. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So it's a partnership between uh, North American Mission Board and the Bill Graham Center at Wheaton College. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seconded to the college there. Um, uh, but, but Nam's really gracious and they make, uh, you know, the, the office available. So Daniel, uh, you, in your role with Send Institute, you're interacting with all kinds of different networks and you, you get, um, from your perch to see the church planning landscape in a way that, you know, maybe I don't cause I'm so deeply entrenched and work with Nam. So I wanted to just talk to you about trends that are happening in church planting. Sure. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, the average church planner doesn't get that data until it's, it's late. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanted to just, uh, just ask you about the kind of trends you're seeing. So we chatted just before and, yeah. and came up with a few things. So, so let's, let's talk about a couple of these and if any others come to your mind while we're talking, sure. just feel free to pull yep. those up. But, but, um, just basically, I think this is a trend that's been going for a little while, but, but church planting in teams, as opposed to seeing individual church mm -hmm. planters kind of as the sort of the Moses syndrome, you know, that yeah. is going out to be all by themselves. So what do you see happening in team planting? Yeah. I mean, it really is becoming more and more of a norm. I mean, anecdotally, when I planted in Toronto, uh, five, six years ago, I mean, we planted as a team, you yeah. know, uh, co lead church planters. Yeah. And I think, 
um, you know, uh, people were nervous about it. But yeah. I think um, a part of it is because uh, the uh, gift sets of planting is now, I mean, it's so demanding. Yeah. And so it's it's something that you really can't require of one person. And mm-hmm. so even if uh, uh, church planting teams are still kind of traditionally, have, they have a lead planter. Mm-hmm. I don't think that lead planter has all the weight of all the skill sets of a church planter that we're looking for yeah. in our assessments and in our, uh, our um, competencies. And so, I, you know, what you're seeing with other networks is that they, may, they might still assess the lead planter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're doing that in the context of the team that that person has around them. Mm. And, uh, you know, we do this at uh, Send Network also, but we're also looking at people's strengths, but we're looking at how they're uh, staffing or bringing people to work alongside of their, you know, their weaknesses. And so I think there's a huge emphasis on that. Probably where um, uh, something that we need to struggle with is a lot of our assessment tools are developed for, the planter or the planting couple. Yeah. Uh, and, and as we begin to think about church planting teams, because we say this at Send Network, I mean, we discover, deploy, and uh, or develop uh, church planting teams from within. Yeah. Uh, how do we uh, accommodate our processes to um, to at least account for the team? Yeah. Um, and I think there are some ways where, you know, probably other networks are at least trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, part of that isn't just the assessment, but it's part of the training. So mm. you train the whole team rather than just the planter themselves. Yeah. Um, I think that's a positive trend. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's a positive trend too. I also planted the church that I planted um, in a pastoral team, and I, I actually think that I probably wouldn't have made it mm. as a church planter if mm-hmm. I had not. Um, I I was 23 when I planted. Yeah just almost impossible for me me to imagine going through the difficulties I went through and having survived those if I hadn't had yeah. uh, the folks with me. And, and this is probably isn't, uh, I mean, this is not just a church planning thing. If you think about it, like the, the traditional title of senior pastor, right. like I don't know any church planners that call themselves senior pastor yeah. anymore. You know, they might still use a lead uh, pastor, but even then you see yeah, caveats. That's fewer even too. Yeah, I mean, you see caveats like it's their lead pastor of teaching or right. something like that. And then you have the lead pastor of vision. And most, right. even like some of our large uh, SBC churches have trended towards that. Um, and it's not necessarily a flat model of leadership, but it's mm-hmm. definitely a, a model of leadership that's spread throughout a couple of mm-hmm. qualified leaders. So you see this continuing to go in that direction, uh, uh, more team planting happening each year. If our systems accommodate for it, then I yeah. think it will. But yeah. if our systems continue to account for just the Maverick church planter, mm-hmm. um, it'll either be... Uh, teams that are going outside the traditional system or yeah. will create a bottleneck for those that uh, want to plant this way. Yeah. What I've found happening is um, church planting teams that want to plant as a team, they just are trying to finagle the situation. Hmm. Like you, you have conversations that we never had 15 years ago where yeah. they're like, well, which one needs to go through assessment? Which right. one of yeah, us yeah. needs to go yep. through? Yep. And I'm like, well, that's, <laughs> this isn't a conversation you're supposed to be having. It's supposed to be obvious or we're supposed to be able to, from an assessment standpoint, yep. look at it holistically. I, I just had that same exact conversation with uh, a group of uh, planters that were going to plant up in the Twin Cities area. Yeah. And there's uh, three, four solid leaders that are coming together and they're trying to figure out, you know, first among equals and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the network that they want to plant with, they're asking them, who's the lead planter? And yeah. they're kind of like, well, that's not really that's not kind of our approach. But if you need one, we'll find one. Yeah. 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 And there's, I mean, I would say I was always advised when we when we planted and even before that, 
that that was a really unwise approach that mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up for a train wreck. And yeah. actually in our, in our case, I pressed forward with it, even though I, I was advised against it. And I think it was what saved our work, you know, yeah. and, and made our work viable. And we actually are the church that I planted. We require all our uh, church planters to have pastoral partners at least. If yeah. Not. Huge. Um, and so I, I see it. I see the trend going that way. And I think I agree. I think we have to accommodate for that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about micro networks a little sure. bit yeah. or not micro networks. Sorry, micro micro churches mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Um, so what does the term micro church mean? Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, we used to think about, like, uh, cell churches or house churches, um, and that kind of had a connotation to it where, you know, 15 people were meeting in a room, mm -hmm. uh, and that was kind of it. I think the trend towards the microchurches hints at, you know, this need for initially engaged uh, groups, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily see themselves as just a house church. Yeah. So, for instance, there are microchurches, uh, that are engaging in like um, uh, uh, I know of one that engages in like uh, the like uh, sex working industry, mm -hmm. and so it's a group of twelve to fifteen people, and uh, they're a part of a larger network, mm -hmm. but they exist as a micro church, missionally engaged. So, some denominations groups uh, might not consider them a full fledged church, yeah. but in their minds, they're a, a missional community engaged uh, in mm -hmm. a particular domain. Uh, and they belong to a larger network. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's not a traditional house church, mm -hmm. but it allows them to to be the body of Christ, mm -hmm. uh, initially engaged. Um, and so I think uh, it's, it's a creative way for uh, people who have kind of like left the Gen X house church, yeah. um, that model that was just kind of like anti-institutional. Yeah. And it seems that these folks are more kind of like constructing rather than deconstructing. Yeah. Uh, and not all house church movements were a deconstruction of the traditional church. Yeah. A lot of them were. Um, the micro church tends to be like, it almost seems like the next mature version of a missional community, if that yeah. makes sense, um, where it's a smaller group missionally engaged um, and they're happy to call themselves a church yeah. yeah as small groups and churches you know become more missional communities more missionally focused mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as churches press toward house church stuff it's like the line the, the line between those two things gets really fuzzy yeah right. um as what i'm seeing and uh so yeah there seems to be um even in our area in washington dc where 10 years ago there, it just wasn't a thing at all mm -hmm. um it seems to be like little groups of house churches yeah. uh, emerging and not just among immigrants either which was before that's yeah. where the house church right. lived it was yep. just with the immigrant yep. uh, populations and so well and where I, where I was at in toronto uh there was a movement i mean still is there led by a guy named nigel paul and they they wouldn't call their patches churches mm -hmm. but uh they have about a hundred plus uh mm -hmm. patches which are groups of people that have moved into an urban part of uh, predominantly Canada, but uh, all over the world now. Mm. And, uh, and they engage in prayer and evangelism mm. uh, and they meet weekly for worship. And yeah. sometimes they'll even take communion and they belong to a larger group, which is called move in. Again, they've decided not to call themselves churches, but mm. in a sense, that's a version of micro church. That, yeah. Um, you know, again, uh, people are being constructively creative mm rather than kind of the the vibe maybe 20 years ago where house churches were kind of like, oh, we don't want to do the worship yeah, gathering. It was Sunday. definitely a reaction against it, yeah. kind of the large established. Yeah. And not all of it was like that, but yeah. uh, a lot of it was. So I think it's a positive thing. And a part of it is because, um, you know, I, I just came back from Thailand. Yeah. And I spent uh, some time training missionaries and church planners there. 
Um, and when you're in a place where, um, you know, it's hard to do the launch model, um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of these missions agencies that I was with, I mean, they, you know, some of them have planted traditional churches. Some of them are, are trying to engage. Um, and they essentially are micro churches in the yeah. way they're engaging. And it's a legitimate form of church. And they've yeah. been doing it for five or six years. Yeah. They do it. What did you say? Five or six years? Yeah. I mean, yeah. these churches are like. They last that long. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so, so that you that you sort of go into it knowing that it's probably not going to be a 150 year institution. Yeah, and and really the the networks that are planting them are just set up in a way where um, they you know their their metrics for sustainability and you know quote unquote success mm-hmm. are different from like a typical North American yeah. uh, model. Um, you know, I mean, and that isn't to say that they're not looking for you know a, a sustainable church but yeah. in the areas that they're engaging where I was at like in, in, in Chiang Mai, mm. they realized that it's a long-term engagement. And, um, you know, there's one church that um, um, they were engaging in, in a part of uh, Thailand that they reach uh, predominantly uh, the elders, mm. uh, uh, senior citizens, and, and those that, yeah. you know, essentially have been abandoned by their, ch- their children that have urbanized. Mm. And so they've left this population in the tribal villages. Um, and so they planted essentially a microchurch, um, you know, for these elders. And it probably will not be what we would consider a sustainable traditional church, yeah. but in their minds, they're a church. And so uh, that concept, I think it makes a lot of sense for us because we're thinking overseas. We're just seeing more of that here in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. Let's turn the conversation to um, bivocationalism or I- I'm just, I'm seeing across the board church uh, planters, a lot fewer of them are imagining themselves having a full-time career slash occupation as um, a, a church planter mm-hmm. slash pastor. Um, they're going into it much more open-minded about the, where the income will, will be gathered from. Yeah. Is that what you're seeing too? Yeah, I think so. For two reasons. I think one, you have the traditional kind of pastor planter mm. and they're realizing that, um, you know, their network denomination just can't fund them fully. And so yeah. they, you know, kind of by default, you know, get a, you know, a, a second job in, mm. in a sense. And then there is a, a group of people that I think uh, they feel called both to the marketplace and then also to seeing a church established, you know, mm. uh, at least within our network, you know, and it's I think the term is becoming more popular you know, we would call that co-vocationalism or co-vocational yeah. planting. Um, and for a lot of those planters, uh, they aren't your pastor planter. You know, um, there's one planter. Uh, it's a different network and a different denomination. Yeah. But um, uh, they're with the Assemblies of God. And mm. she's actually a doctor. And um, she's uh, started, you know, two churches in western Michigan mm. um, out of her clinics, you know. Hmm. And... Um, uh, she's never going to not be a doctor, yeah. but she's finding leadership to to lead those churches that she's mm. planted out of her clinic. Um, uh, Doctor Ia uh, Q is her name. Wow. Um, and so with the Assemblies of God, and so you know, again, um, we are starting to see that. Uh, it used to be that we we trained church planters, you know, kind of to use this as you know uh, an illustration. We trained we trained church planters how to become a barista. You yeah. know, kind of like you're planter, church planter, pastor, and become a barista on the side. The flip side is starting to happen. You've seen baristas saying, you know what, you know, I don't want to leave Starbucks, but I also want to see a worshiping community yeah. amongst my coworkers. Right. You know, uh, that's an analogy, but I think you were starting to see shifts like that. Yeah. I'm seeing that too. There's a, I, I'm actually even seeing, uh, I've had uh, probably in the last six months, I've had two or three guys 
come through with their prospectuses and it includes the the funds they're trying to raise include things that will help them get their business off the ground Mm -hmm. um which is you know uh yeah it's just different uh i wasn't seeing that kind of thing Uh, yeah yeah and you know to be honest with you like in some ways that's a harder approach for those who are doing kind of the entrepreneurial social entrepreneurial model right because uh, you know i mean that's even of a more significant skill set but those that are doing it, I think, in teams, they realize that yeah. they can't do it all themselves and they're spreading across the board. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, so when we were talking about this before we turned the recording on, um, you, you called these guys uh, church planning entrepreneurs. Yeah. Or, or, and so that's that's a category now that we're thinking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. guys that are setting out in the beginning, sometimes on a team, often on a team, setting out to simultaneously start a worshiping community and yeah. and some kind of business venture. Yeah. Yeah. What comes to your mind? What creative versions of that come to your mind that you've seen successful? Yeah. You know, 20 years ago was a coffee shop, right? I mean, that was the only example. Everybody was trying it. Yeah. I, I tried to, <laughs> just for full disclosure. We, I think everybody <laughs> saw Central Perks and Friends and they yes, were like, hey, yes. that's that'd be kind of fun yes. to go to church like that, right? Yeah. Uh, so th- I think that in some ways it, it stirred up the imagination for a lot of people. And then you have guys like, you know, in our network, Anton Fury yeah. out in Portland now who started a CrossFit gym. Yeah. I just talked to a guy, Logan, uh, I forget Logan's last name, but he's with uh, PCA Church and he's wanting to do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, start a CrossFit gym yeah. and a worship community out of that. Yeah. Um, and so I think, uh, again, I mean, time will tell. Now you think about it. I mean, you know, uh, 100, 200, 150 years ago, when the Baptists and the Methodists, and they were just kind of growing, you know, um, yeah. uh, here uh, as we were expanding west, and, and uh, there were there were different kinds of entrepreneurial models like this. So yeah. it's not like it's a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the industries and the actual businesses are new, but I think that social entrepreneurial slash planter has always been a part of the pioneering spirit. Yeah, it America. has absolutely. And it, they go hand in hand in terms of the yeah. gift mix skill set. As a matter of fact, I mean, it's a global phenomenon in China. They have these things called boss pastors. Uh, there's a, a province in um, uh, China. Uh, I, I forget. The, I can't pronounce the actual Chinese name, but it's called the Jerusalem of the East. Uh-huh. And in the city, um, you can Google it. It's pretty easy. Uh, where these uh, people start like huge uh, companies like manufacturing companies yeah. and now this could be dangerous and I think sure. it's dangerous in, you know, in, in North America because yeah. power corrupts, right? right? But the benevolent ones, I mean, they, they essentially uh, start a business, employ people and they become the boss pastor of yeah. those people And the, within that uh, company, they build a worshiping community. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, there's studies upon studies on these things in, in the East. So, yeah, I, it's so interesting when you, especially as we talk about holistic ministry and we really want to see, um, pastors, church planners go into communities thinking about the restoration of the whole community, not just the gospel piece of it that manifests itself in all sorts of creative ways often. I mean, I'm just thinking even in my, uh, a church that my church planted, um, the, the 
guy who was leading the church ultimately became the mayor of the yeah. town. Right. And then, you know, there was some like, oh, can I be the pastor and the mayor? Well, maybe that's not wise yeah. in some ways. So he stepped away from being the mayor, but still part of the church. Just, find, you know, finding like the goal is to bring gospel restoration to this community. That's and right. that's going to that's going to manifest itself in lots of different kinds of ways. But yeah. it involves a worshiping community with uh, with accountability and uh, pastoral work happening. Yeah. But. Yeah. And I think that's huge. I mean, the moment that you step away from like the local church, it, it it is no longer church planting. And I think that people need to also realize that when you engage in the entrepreneurial model, if it becomes uh, you know, less about the local church, then, you know, it's not that it's not kingdom work, but mm-hmm. it's in my eyes, it's no longer church planting as yeah. well. And so, um, you know, there are ways in which I think you can balance the two. Um, and uh, there, there are actually a couple of groups that, you know, they have the, for-profit side and the non-profit mm-hmm. side. Um, yeah, Hugh, uh, Hugh Halter just started a group out in uh, Alton, uh, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And uh, their their work that they're doing, they've decided that they want to be for-profit mm-hmm. because, not because it makes them more money, but it allows yeah. them to pay taxes into sure. their local community. Yeah. And that's important for him because yeah. he wants to give back to his community in that way. Yeah, it's so funny. On like I've heard a, a couple cases like that too, and where pastors are starting things intending to be for profit, uh, and and it's so interesting with our reputations in in our municipality municipalities uh, mm-hmm. for being like this general like leech on society yeah. where we yeah. take up otherwise taxable land and space and stuff like yeah. that uh, the, for pastors to go in and, and instead of fighting that which is the impulse uh, to, to just embrace it and say yeah we do want to be a contributing member of this community. Yeah. It, it's funny because I mean I, I was just with Hugh a couple of weeks ago and he was telling me that you know because he's engaging that way yeah. like the city city leaders, uh, other business leaders, they give him stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I was having this conversation with somebody and they asked the question, is that, can you, is that even possible? Is it legal for a church to be for profit? <laughs> well, yes, of course it's possible. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Just as long as, I mean, you know, not for profit for your own benefit. Yeah. Right? Not for like, your you own know, profit. I mean, right, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, many, I mean, it's always been a thing. It's been a relatively minor thing, but, but church is having a for profit aspect of what they do. And, and, uh, and uh, my church is, uh, is involved in uh, sort of a creative venture right now where we're trying to solve our facility issues yeah. with, uh, with a, a business's mission kind of solution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what are some things specifically related to facility use that you've seen in, in that those two worlds coming closer together? Anything come mm-hmm. to mind? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, kind of the, uh, the, uh, we've always seen the version of churches running community centers out of their buildings, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I, and I think that, you know, that's, that's always been a thing, but, but it's kind of primarily it's a church and, and we're going to utilize our building. space for other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, now you have churches that are trying to do the co-working space yeah. model where, They'll, uh, and that, you know, that's kind of, it helps pay the bills mm, to, yeah. you know, uh, sublease, sublease parts of it to mm. other organizations. I think it's also a good way to incubate like nonprofits and yeah, stuff like that. There's sure. a church up in um, um, Cincinnati uh, that they've actually spun off uh, an actual nonprofit incubator mm. because they were doing that for a while. Um, you know, uh, for folks that might be um, uh, familiar with Tampa Underground, I mm. mean, essentially, They've got a 30,000 square foot space. Mm. Uh, they run a healthcare clinic out of it, co-working space, mm. uh, and it's intrinsically a hub for their uh, church network as well. Mm. And so I think, again, not everybody can do that. Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not saying we should get a, do away with traditional church spaces. Mm. 
but we are seeing people that are, are becoming a little bit more, you know, um, creative. And to be honest with you, Salvation Army has been doing some form of this for a long time. Right. You know, with their stores, their public spaces, their hospitals. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, I mean, especially in our urban places, it's becoming almost essential because mm -hmm. there are just not affordable places to gather hundreds of people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where I planted in Toronto, there is no way a church plant can acquire a permanent facility, right. you know, within the first couple of years. And so, yeah. um, actually the church that we planted, who Mike Seaman leads now, yeah. they rent a storefront, uh, not, not as their worshiping space, but as an additional space for the community to use. Yeah. Um, and, um, I just think that, you know, if churches can think that way, um, it helps with the witness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely getting, getting to the place where we're seen as a general blessing to our community is going to only help to advance the gospel mm -hmm. in our communities. So Daniel, uh, conversation super helpful. Thank you for yeah. spending time. And I appreciate you. Time. I, 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 uh, refer church money thresholds to a lot of people. So oh, thanks well, for, well, thanks for saying for what you've done. Yeah. yeah. Hey, podcaster, thanks for listening to the Church Planting Podcast. Hopefully it's been useful and helpful to you in your ministry. And if it has, we'd like you to do two things for us. First, we'd like you to subscribe. If you subscribe right there in your podcast application for the Church Planting Podcast, then every time a new episode is posted on midday on Wednesdays, that will show up in your, in your podcast feed and you won't have to search for us every time you want to listen. So that's the first thing you can do. The second thing you can do is simply click that share button in your application and uh, post about the church planning podcast, either your favorite episode or the podcast as a whole on your favorite social media platform. That would be a huge help to us and it would help other folks who are out there trying to start new churches glean from the wisdom of those who are featured on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Church Planting Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode.